Welcome to All Vampires Are Gay, a serialized narrative podcast created by Corbin Rosewood. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all major podcasting platforms. If you like the show, please consider supporting our work. All Vampires Are Gay is made possible because of listeners like you. You can help out by becoming a patron, shopping our merch, and of course, telling your friends about the show. You can find all the ways to support us and more at our website, CorwinRosewood.com. Now on with the show. Episode 5, Down at the Mausoleum. Welcome, I'm Corwin Rosewood, and tonight we pick up where we left off, with the romance blooming between dramatic Victor and the only man who seems entirely unintimidated by him, Robert. Scene, Victor and Robert. You can't be serious. It's only a few hours' drive, Victor said, frowning as Robert stuffed another jacket into his rolling luggage. We might not even stay overnight. You never know. One should always be prepared to look fabulous, Robert said with a shrug. He put his leather jacket on, added a few dangling earrings to one ear, and with a final flourish, he pulled a large red rose from the vase on his armoire and affixed it to his lapel. He looked at himself in the mirror a moment, adjusting his fluffy brown hair with some gel until it suited his liking. Then he twirled around to face Victor. Okay, I'm ready, he said. Victor had to admit he looked stunningly beautiful. He pulled him in for a kiss and said, I guess I'll just have to deal with your luggage if it makes you look this good. I'm glad you understand, Robert said with a grin. I just realized you said you want me to drive, but I don't have a car. That's no problem, Victor said, heading for the door and motioning Robert to follow along with his suitcase. We'll just get one of mine. With that, they headed downstairs and Victor called a taxi. They sat in the back while it took them across town, holding hands and occasionally looking at each other with dreamy eyes. It was just one of those perfect mornings where everything felt possible and all the misery of his past was temporarily forgotten in the promise of his future. How is it possible that you don't drive, but you have multiple cars? Robert asked as the taxi driver turned into an industrial complex parking lot. I think it's a vampire thing, Victor said, but maybe it's just me. I don't know. I hate cars. I don't like being trapped in a box on wheels. Actually, I don't care if the box has wheels or not. I hate subways and airplanes too. I just hate feeling trapped. I like to feel the ground beneath me to know I can leap into the trees or onto a building at any moment. But we're in a car right now, Robert replied. Yes, I hate it, Victor said bluntly. Robert laughed. Okay, but if you ride in cars, why can't you drive? If you hated baking, would you learn to bake? Victor asked. He paid the taxi driver and they got out of the car. That doesn't even work as an analogy, Robert said. It should be something like, if you hated bread, would you learn to bake? This way, Victor said, ignoring him completely and walking up to the nondescript garage door of an industrial warehouse. He pulled a set of keys mysteriously from somewhere in his voluminous trench coat 
and fiddled around until he unlocked it. He heaved the big door up, causing a cloud of dust to balloon out in their faces, making their eyes water. After they both coughed for a moment, the air finally cleared and they gazed into the large, crowded warehouse. The warehouse was filled with all kinds of things. Rolled up carpets, paintings in gilded frames stacked against the wall, boxes of records and books, curiosities cabinets filled with old skulls and daggers, velvet-lined jewelry boxes overflowing with rusted and dusty trinkets. It looked more like an antique collectible store than an industrial warehouse building. It was messy, chaotic, and thoroughly unusual. Robert went quickly inside, making a beeline for a box of records and skimming through the titles quickly. Once he was satisfied, he looked around the place more, taking it all in, running his hands over the jewelry and opening the door to a large wardrobe to find it entirely full of black coats. What is all this? he asked. Just some of my stuff, Victor said, waving him away impatiently. I'll grab us a few daggers to be safe and then we'll get the car. He motioned to a few vehicles near the entrance that were covered in large drop cloths. Then he turned away and began digging around in an oversized wooden trunk that was filled with weapons. There were no guns, but basically everything else, particularly knives and swords. Robert looked a little alarmed at Victor's weapons cache, but didn't say anything. He just kept looking around the warehouse until he spotted something unexpected. What's that? he asked pointing to a small bed on a cot in the corner. It was set up near a sink with an electric kettle, an assortment of mismatched ceramic mugs, and a few boxes of English tea. Victor pulled his head up from the box of weapons and pushed his stringy black hair out of his eyes. He followed Robert's gaze to the small bed, and then he looked rather uncomfortable. It's the bed, he said simply. Yes, but why is it here? It doesn't fit with everything else, Robert said. Victor sighed angrily, closing the lid of the trunk with a loud bang. Why must you be so contrary? Robert held his gaze steadily. You didn't answer my question. It's mine, okay, Victor said, breaking his gaze and heading towards the car. Sometimes I just don't find a good place to lay my head. Y you don't have a home? Robert asked, stunned. I sleep wherever and with whomever I desire, Victor said cavalierly. Who needs a home when you look this good? Robert looked around the warehouse again, his face suddenly full of sadness and sympathy. But you're so sentimental, he said quietly. You should have a place to put the things you love. Victor ignored him, running over to the cars. Hmm, should we do black or green, he asked himself, tapping on his chin. I think I do too much black. Let's change it up, he said, gleefully ripping off one of the drop cloths dramatically to reveal a dark hunter green vintage car. It was clearly very expensive and in pristine condition, with smooth leather seats and silver trim gleaming elegantly. I don't know anything about cars, but that is damn beautiful, Robert said admiringly. Let's go then, shall we? Victor asked. He put the knives into the back seat and then went over to Robert to grab his luggage to put in the trunk. Robert followed behind, almost in a daze as he tried to absorb everything he had seen in Victor's warehouse. Victor tossed him the keys and Robert got in the car, 
firing up the engine and slowly backing it out of the warehouse. Victor followed behind and pulled down the warehouse door, locking away all of his secrets for another day. Scene, Victor's car. Soon they were on the road. They headed out to the freeway until it turned into a highway. A couple hours later, they were entirely out of the city, barreling along a winding country road in the sunshine. Victor had become very grouchy when the sun had come out. He had put on a pair of pitch black sunglasses and pulled the collar of his jacket tightly around his neck, sinking back into the cushiony leather seat. I don't believe you're a vampire, you know, Robert said suddenly. Victor grunted. Doesn't matter. Of course it matters, Robert said. Don't you want me to believe you? I'm still a vampire whether you believe me or not, Victor said, pulling his jacket up higher over his face as he glared at the sunlight blazing through the car windows. I mean, I would actually like to believe you, but you haven't even tried to convince me, Robert said. Are you asking to be convinced? Victor replied, flashing his pointed teeth for a moment, just long enough that Robert could see them. Robert rolled his eyes and looked back at the road. I'm not impressed. There are so many ways you could fake that. There's lots of goths into weird things like that. Give me something more interesting. Tell me about that glowing phone of yours. Now that was weird. Victor pulled out the enchanted burner phone. The sigils on it were dimmer in the bright sunlight, but it still looked distinctly magical. Robert glanced over at it. What does it do? He asked. Makes phone calls, Victor said. Robert laughed. I guess I was wrong then. Not so magical after all. You weren't wrong, Victor said, turning the phone over in his hands. It also has a protection charm on it. A powerful one, probably. You don't know how powerful it is? No, my friend Samson gave me the phone, and I don't know much about magic. Robert frowned. Well, that's kind of boring. My apologies, my magic phone wasn't fancy enough for you, Victor said tartly, then added. Oh, I guess it also has a privacy spell for blocking spying ears from hearing my calls. But I heard you on the phone at my apartment earlier, Robert said. Yes, but you were very close by. It's not meant to keep my calls private from humans. I'm so confused, Robert replied. What does being human have to do with it? Vampires have heightened senses. Sometimes we can see or hear things that are very far away. So this spell would prevent a vampire in another building from hearing my conversation. There's no need for a spell to stop a human right next to me from hearing my call. I could prevent that myself. How would you do that? Robert asked. Depends on the human, Victor said coyly. Either a punch in the face or a kiss on the lips. Both would work. With that, he sighed and turned up the music, leaning back into his seat. Robert didn't ask any more questions, and Victor didn't volunteer anything. Mostly, he just wanted to get this graveyard trip over with. Scene. The Cemetery.
A few hours later, and they had finally arrived at their destination. Victor's mood had been souring ever since he got in the car, and it only got worse as they approached the small, wild country graveyard. He seemed to be dealing with his stress and anxiety by sinking further and further into his trench coat, until only the top of his head and dark sunglasses were visible under the waves of black fabric. Robert looked over to him as they slowed to a stop, the tires crunching loudly on the gravel parking lot. Are we going to go in, or are you going to crawl into your coat instead? Victor pulled his head up and looked around cautiously. He opened the door of the car and gratefully put his foot on the ground. He held up his hand for Robert to be quiet, as he focused his supernatural hearing to listen for any unusual sounds. It was an exceptionally windy day, and the trees and bushes were rustling loudly, but he didn't hear anything unusual. His hand went to the silver necklace around his neck, rubbing it between his fingers as he focused. Something felt off. He was sure of it, but he couldn't pick anything out, so he nodded and got out of the car, grabbing the knives from the back seat and slamming the door. Robert came around from the other side and he handed him one of the knives. The sheath was worn leather, covered in occult symbols and strange designs. Robert took it from his hands, holding it anxiously like it might explode. Um, I'm not really into weapons, he said. Neither am I, Victor replied, buckling his knife to the belt around his waist. But trust me, if we encounter anyone even half as dangerous as who was locked in that mausoleum, you'll be glad you have it. Robert shuddered and awkwardly stuffed the knife sheath into his jeans back pocket. If they're really that dangerous, shouldn't we have guns? Guns don't do anything against vampires, Victor said. I'm sorry I can't leave you in the car, but you're probably safer with me anyway, he added. Then he strode across the graveyard, motioning to Robert to follow behind him. The graveyard was rather charming, actually. Mostly overgrown gravestones with the names barely visible, covered in moss and foliage. There were large hanging willow trees, their boughs covered in drooping leaves brushing against the tops of the stones. Victor did not spend any time admiring the charm of the place. He was on high alert, looking anxiously from side to side and gripping the knife at his belt tightly. He sniffed the air and paused to listen to the wind, looking more like a man in a battlefield tracking his enemy than someone walking through a quiet country graveyard filled with trees. They walked out from under a large overgrown tree, and at last, Victor saw it the mausoleum. He paused for a moment, holding his hand up to stop Robert, letting the waves of fear wash over him as the wind whipped his hair around his face. He knew if he just let the emotions pass through him, he would feel better soon. He hated this place. All the memories, the fear, the panic, everything they had given to lock them in that cage. He looked up the hillside at the mausoleum, and he knew they weren't in there anymore. The whole place felt different, empty, desolate, strange. He didn't like it at all. He motioned to Robert to follow him. Stay quiet and follow my lead, he said, edging up the hillside to the mausoleum door as his fear pulsed in his chest. The wind got stronger as they approached, pulling at the memories of that day. The rain, the magic, the blood. 
He pulled the knife from its sheath and clenched it tightly, causing Robert to gasp and look around anxiously. Is there someone out there? Robert whispered nervously. I don't know, Victor said. The vampires are gone from this place, but I don't know who or what might have freed them. We need to see what's up there. Robert nodded and grabbed his hand. When Robert squeezed his hand tightly, he felt the waves of fear drain out of his body. It was like he saw himself the way Robert saw him. Powerful, confident, in control. He saw the graveyard for what it was, empty, quiet, and serene. He breathed deeply and put the knife back in its sheath, entwining his fingers with Robert's and walking up the hillside with renewed confidence. They approached the ancient stone door, now slightly open, and he let go of Robert's hand to drop to his knees. Victor examined the hinges carefully, looking for signs for how it might have been opened. He pulled out his phone and began snapping photos to bring back for Jin and Samson. His hands were shaking slightly as he looked at the door. He didn't know how it had happened, but the Chevaliers had definitely escaped. He had known it already, but seeing it in person was different. Should we go in? Robert asked in a hushed tone, pointing to the empty mausoleum. Victor pulled back from the door instinctively. He knew he should go in. He needed to gather information for Samson. They needed to know what happened. But his mind recoiled at the thought. To be in that space where those monsters had been for all those years, he couldn't think of anything worse. His palms began to sweat, but he nodded. Robert turned on the flashlight on his phone, and they went into the small, dark stone room. Victor gulped as his breathing tightened, putting his hand to his necklace again and looking around the room with bulging eyes. He began to take photos of the room, trying his best not to look at the scratches and markings on the wall as his anxiety increased. He began to imagine what it must have been like, locked in this space for years. He tried to focus on snapping photos frantically, turning his mind away from the Chevaliers, suddenly sending dead leaves skittering across the cold floor. He looked up at the sound, startled like a cat. The wind got stronger and he moved to the door just as a huge gust of wind pushed it closed, causing him to scream. Robert looked at him in surprise. What's going on? What is it? He asked, looking around the empty room in confusion. The door, Victor shrieked running to the cold mausoleum door covered in scratch marks. It's closed, it's closed, it's closed, it's over. I'm good as dead, he said dramatically. He dropped to the floor and began to hyperventilate, hands and knees shaking. Robert ran over to the door and examined it. Then he came and sat down next to Victor, putting a hand on his shoulder. It looks like it's only half closed. I think we should be able to get out with some help, he said. No, 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 Victor said, shaking his head and burying his face, taking in shallow breaths as the anxiety attack consumed him. It's closed. There's no way out. Really, I, I think we can get out, Robert said gently. What would you know of it? We should never have come here, Victor bellowed, standing up quickly, flashing his vampire teeth and spitting. You're just a human. You don't understand. You wouldn't know what it's like to be trapped like this. He grabbed a rock and threw it violently against a wall, causing it to break in a million pieces. Okay, that's incredibly rude, Robert said, but I'm not going to hold it against you. He saw Victor pacing back and forth like a lion in a cage, and he knew that sometimes people weren't really themselves when they were consumed by fear and anxiety. 
Look, just take a deep breath, okay? Robert said. Why don't I call the groundskeeper and have them let us out? Victor suddenly stopped pacing, confusion replacing his anxiety. What are you talking about? This is an ancient graveyard where we entombed evil vampires with magic. Yeah, but like, aren't regular people buried here too? Robert said, picking up his phone and beginning an internet search. There's probably a person who takes care of the graveyard or something. Victor breathed deeply for a moment, clutching his necklace tightly. He hadn't even considered something like that. What an absurd idea. I really don't think, he began, but Robert cut him off. Here it is. There's an office. I'm calling now. Then he seamlessly transitioned into a perfect phone voice as he began talking to the person on the other line. Hi, I'm so sorry to bother you, but my boyfriend was visiting his family's grave, I mean mausoleum, today to put flowers in their crypt, and they seem to have gotten locked in. Is there anyone who can possibly come let us out? Robert turned around and motioned to Victor to tell him the name on one of the graves. Victor looked around helplessly for a moment, then he pulled himself together and found a name. A.M. Johnson, he whispered. Johnson, A.M. Johnson, Robert said. There was a pause on the line, then he continued. Mm-hmm, yeah, the one that was locked. It was open today when we arrived, so we came inside to leave a rose on A.M. Johnson's grave. And then you know how windy it is. Poof, now we're stuck. He laughed, and then Victor heard laughter coming through the phone. Then Robert said, Oh my God, really? You're the absolute best, Harold. Thank you so much. He hung up the phone and turned to Victor proudly. He'll be here in five minutes, he said. Then he pulled the rose from his lapel and handed it to Victor. Tell him that's for your dear old great-granddad, A.M. Johnson. Victor looked at him, stunned. His panic wasn't fully subsided, but something about the complete absurdity of Robert's solution to this problem was weirdly calming. He let his shoulders relax a little. He knew they were probably going to get out. He also knew something else. Robert was an exceptionally good liar. Scene. The Graveyard. Five minutes turned out to be more like an hour, during which Victor paced the mausoleum anxiously. Eventually, the kind elderly groundskeeper arrived and pulled the door open with a crowbar. Robert made small talk with him and they chatted for a bit while Victor tried to contain his relief as he burst out of the mausoleum. Finally, they waved goodbye to the groundskeeper and Victor pulled out his magical phone to call Samson and give them an update. They've escaped, it's totally empty, he said. That's what I figured, Samson said grimly. I took photos, I'll send them to you, Victor added. Did you take them with the enchanted phone? Samson asked. Of course not, the camera is terrible, Victor said. Samson laughed. That's what I thought. Don't send them to me yet. We don't know who has access to your regular phone right now. Only this line is safe. Just come see me when you come back. Are you driving back tonight? Victor looked around at the graveyard, now shrouded in the encroaching gloom of twilight. He turned to Robert, who was looking down at his own phone. Are we driving back tonight? Victor asked him. 
I found a super cute B&B right around the corner, Robert said with a roguish grin. Would it be all right if we came back in the morning? Victor asked, smiling dreamily at Robert. Robert smiled back, pulling him close to show him photos of a quaint B&B nearby called the Three Sisters Country Bed and Breakfast. I think that'll be okay, but there's something I need to tell you, Samson said. Uh-huh, Victor replied. His eyes focused on Robert, who looked stunning in the glow from his cell phone, the wind rustling his hair softly. Are you listening to me? Samson asked. They sounded irritated. I don't have to tell you how serious this is, Victor. Of course, Victor said, turning his attention back to the call. Uh, what did you want to tell me? It's more bad news, unfortunately, Samson said somberly. My contact at the police has informed me of a developing case. What kind of case? Victor asked. They don't want to put it on the news until they know more because it would alarm too many people. But it's bad, Samson said, taking a deep breath. The Metro Police are investigating a string of vampire killings in the city. Last night, they found a warehouse downtown with at least a few dozen dead bodies. Victor cursed, then said, Seriously? Do you think it's the Chevaliers? Robert looked up from his phone when he heard Victor's distress and moved closer to shamelessly eavesdrop on Victor's call. Maybe, Samson said. I'm sure the two incidents are related, but warehouses of dead bodies isn't really their style. My best guess is whoever let them out is responsible for the murders as well. Victor ran his hand through his hair, sighing deeply. This wasn't about revenge on him and Samson, or a personal vendetta for the Chevaliers. This was starting to look like a much bigger plot than they had realized, and it was only going to get worse until they stopped it. Is there any good news? He asked. Actually, there is, Samson said. Jin has found something. About the amulet? Victor asked. No, but maybe something we could use to stop it. She has uncovered the existence of something called the Dagger of Anshi. Have you heard of it? Victor scanned his memory. I don't think so. I hadn't either, but she says it can cut through magic severing magical connections and possibly even breaking enchantments entirely. Victor whistled. Cuts through magic? I've never seen anything like that. He took a deep breath. This was all getting intense, incredibly fast. He looked up at Robert and felt a knot in his stomach. He wanted to tell him to run, to stay away from him and get out of the city. But he just couldn't. He needed something good right now. He held the phone back and said to Robert, Can you go start the car? I want to get out of here. Robert nodded and ran off to the car while Victor finished his conversation. How do I find this dagger? He asked, determination in his voice. We're still working on it. That's all I know so far, Samson said. Jin made a list of books she thinks might have information about its whereabouts. I'm going to reach out to my contacts tonight and try to track the books down. Unfortunately, it could be a few weeks before we get that information. In the meantime, the best we can do is investigate the murders and try to figure out who let the Chevaliers out of that mausoleum. And where they are, Victor added, looking nervously behind him as though a bloodthirsty vampire might pop out from behind one of the trees. True, Samson sighed. I know it's a lot, but we can handle it. Don't beat yourself up about all this, okay, Victor? Just because you put them in a mausoleum doesn't make it your fault they got out. 
I don't beat myself up, Victor said sulkily. Sure you don't, Samson said. Why don't you put it out of your mind for tonight? You're allowed to have a nice evening with your boyfriend. The monsters will be here in the morning. Victor smiled. Thanks, Samson. I think I'll do that. He hung up and turned to look at the mausoleum before shivering and pulling his jacket tight around his shoulders and running to meet Robert at the car. Robert smiled as Victor got in and pulled him into a kiss. Let's go to the B&B, darling. Let's have a great night, Victor said. Let's enjoy being alive. Robert turned on the headlights and pulled out of the graveyard. They headed onto the highway towards the woods as Victor looked back at the gravestones, wondering what might have become of the Chevaliers. I believe you, Robert said. Victor turned around to look at him. Hmm? The magic phone. I believe you, he said. When I went to the car, I suddenly couldn't hear you anymore. Just like you said, all I could hear was a strange wobbly sound, like someone talking underwater. So you finally believe I'm a vampire? Victor asked. Robert laughed. Maybe, maybe. I mean, if you're actually a super-powered human, why couldn't you even get away from two nightclub bouncers? They were vampires, Victor said huffily. And quite strong, I might add. Sure they were, Robert replied with a laugh. I still don't know if you have any superpowers other than extreme arrogance, but your sparkly little burner phone, that's definitely magical. Victor sighed, taking one last look at the dark graveyard as they drove away into the night. Well, that's all right. Maybe it's safer if you don't believe me, he said. And so we finish tonight's tale, with Victor and Robert driving away, hoping that a cozy bed and breakfast can help them forget about the monsters looming in the distance. You've been listening to All Vampires Are Gay. This episode was created, written, and performed by Corwin Rosewood. Produced and composed by Parker Frost. With additional production, mixing, editing, and engineering by the team at Studio Corwin. If you enjoyed this episode, consider supporting our show today so we can make more episodes in the future. You can find all the ways to support us at CorwinRosewood.com. Thank you for listening.